Well, y'all, I'm here on a Friday once again recording this. Actually, I'm on a Thursday night recording for a Friday show. But welcome, everybody, to finally another Friday edition of Conversation with Shelby Green, episode 60. Boy, we are 60 episodes in. Hoorah, 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 hoorah. Swig of sweet tea for the worker, man. All right, guys, so we got one subject to talk about, and that's it. And then we back on track next week. We're going to talk about multiple things next week, but let's talk right here and right now. We are talking about WWE SummerSlam 2023 from Fort Field in Detroit, Michigan, and your boy was present, so let's get to it. So let's talk about it. I've been all over the Midwest. I've been to Chicago multiple times. I love Chicago. I've been to St. Louis. I've been to Cincinnati. I've been to Columbus, Ohio. I believe I've been to Cleveland, but I've never been to Detroit, Michigan. And I will let you know, a four-hour drive was a lot. Um, I will also point out the facts that, as I take a drink of my tea, that I slept about 45 minutes on the way there. My buddy Virgil Pat drove most of the way. I drove back the majority of the ride. Getting to Detroit was kind of a, it was all right. It was just so many exits you had to get on and off on. Get off and on on. <laughs> that was a good way to point it. <laughs> but um, easily, though, it was a smooth drive outside of that. Downtown Detroit, I will let you know this, too. Going to Toledo, I've been to a lot of rough areas. I've been to Gary, Indiana. I've been to East Chicago. I've been to Michigan City. I've been to Hammond, Indiana. I've been to Louisville, Kentucky, my hometown, obviously. is rough. Jeffersonville, Indiana. New Albany, Indiana. Chicago. I live in Indianapolis. St. Louis is also rough. As I get a text message from my sister. But Toledo, Ohio to Detroit, Michigan might be the roughest places I've ever been to. My God. And it's not the, the, the it's not what it is, but just there's a lot of abandoned buildings. I drove by on the way uh, on the Michigan border and saw the biggest fucking Ford plant I've ever seen in my life, and it was abandoned, it looked like. Uh, I saw the bridge in Detroit that leads you to a can't which leads you to the Canadian border, which is pretty fucking cool. The only thing I didn't see in Detroit that I wanted to, I wanted to go to Cobo Hall. If you know me as a big story wrestling fan, the the era of big time wrestling Detroit with the Sheik, Abdul the Butcher, Ox Baker, Dick the Bruiser, a lot of guys that may know, may not know, but uh, a group of guys from old timers, legends of wrestling that I read about. I've always, I want to go to Cobo Hall, but didn't see it. However, though, um. I did see the, the the outside Detroit is rough, but inside that little area where right all where Ford Field is, was where Detroit. There's also the Detroit Tigers baseball stadium. There's also a um, there's also what uh, Little Caesars Arena is right down the block from it, uh, right across the street from it. They got little condos around it. They got a nice little cool. And also right right around the block is Little Caesars headquarters. There's also um, the famous Fox Theater where a lot of Motown singers got perform there. I mean that that day you had SummerSlam going on this past weekend. You had SummerSlam, a Smokey Robertson concert, and a Detroit Tigers baseball game. It was packed. That being said, let's talk about Ford Field. Ford Field easily is one of the best NFL stadiums I've ever been in. There's not a bad seat in that in that arena. It's a it's a solid stadium. Has Frisch's big boy in there. That makes me happy. <laughs> but it was easy to get to because such stands weren't that bad. It was it was easy access to whatever. So let's talk about the event itself. I will state this. Production-wise, the arena, they did have a section of the arena blocked off because they half rented the building, but I will let you know, so there was 50,000 people there. I don't know about 59, but I do believe there was 52 to 53,000 people there. It was packed. A packed attendance house, and it was it was worth a lot. Uh, that being said, also, um, let's get into the event. So we open up the show as I pull up. 
as I pull up the event here. SummerSlam. So let's go ahead and pull this up real quick. Get this rocking and rolling. Um, pulling this up. Actually, uh, by the way, guys, I got a big announcement I'm going to make at the end of the podcast, too. So I got a big announcement to make as well. And here we go. So this is the 36th annual SummerSlam. It took place in Detroit, Michigan at Ford Field. And it was the first time WWE held an event at Ford Field since WrestleMania 23. The first SummerSlam to be held in Michigan since 1993. Obviously, 1993 for you people that know was, uh, which is, uh, <coughs> excuse me, which is um, the famous uh, Lex Luger, Yokozuna pay-per-view where Yokozuna lost by countout. And Lex Luger celebrated like he won the world title that night. Yeah. So we're going to start this off. We're going to talk about the matches. Um, we're going to get, go ahead and get this going. So the first match to kick off the night was Logan Paul and Ricochet. And I'll give you my thoughts watching it live and then going home and watching it back. That being said, let's talk about this. So plain and simple, guys. Logan Paul and Ricochet live. There was a lot of good feed. Logan Paul was booed out of the building. Ricochet got a nice little pop coming out. The crowd was really into the match. A lot of high spots. A lot of... A lot of push, 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 go, go, go in this. Live was really good. It got the crowd on its feet. It got me on my feet a couple spots. Um, there was a couple spots in the match I didn't agree with. I thought the uh, Tupe Ciacito on the floor would have been meant more if it was in the ring. The top rope swing and net breaker was a good spot, but I think Edge and Seth Rollins did it a little bit better, just a little bit better than um, – did a little bit better than um, – excuse me, than um, – than, um, Logan Paul and Ricochet. That being said, Logan Paul got the win with a DQ with a brass knuckles knockout punch. Uh, like the finish, personally, in my opinion. I thought it, Logan Paul needed a win. Ricochet's one of those guys you get beat. And I, live, I thought the match was really good. I enjoyed it. Going back and watching it on my TV here, um, it looked... Now I, I start picking the match apart a little bit more and say, well, you can tell this match has been in the performance center for a couple weeks. It looks like it looks like it was choreographed. To it was like I go, you go, me go, me go, me go. It was like it was like spot, 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 and it was like okay, my turn, my turn, my turn, and it just it wasn't as smooth as it looked live. So I I'm gonna go ahead and give it on a A to F sched scale. I'm gonna give this. Actually, you know what, guys? I'm going to switch up. I'm going to do the star rating. Fuck it. I'm going to go ahead and do the star rating. I hate the star but I'm going to go ahead and use it. So, you know what? Fuck it. I don't even want to do the star rating. I don't have to do the star rating. This shit's pointless. Um, a thumbs up, thumbs down, or in the middle. I'm going to go I'm in the middle in this because I'm more in the middle. Uh, I think it was just one of those matches where I felt like it was really good. And if I had to grade it on the A to F level, I would give it a solid B+. I just felt like it – actually, I'll give it a B because it was more of a choreographed – it just looked choreographed live. Second match of the night, Cody Rhodes versus Brock Lesnar, the rubber match. Let's drink, drink, my, drink my tea. Um, I'm going to make this real clear to you. The feud, a lot of people online were bitching about, you know, it has no – there's no reason why, blah, blah, blah. What What is the reason for this feud? Well, the reason for the feud is to get Cody Rhodes over. And I will let you know this. In my opinion, this was the best match of the night. 
this is what you would call a five-star match. Um, it, it, whatever you want to call it. I think Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar got the point across in this match. Start off, Cody jump, jumps Brock from behind. Disaster kick, disaster kick, disaster kick, disaster kick. Brock cuts him off. Suplex, suplex. Brock kicks his ass for a little bit. Brock, Cody makes a comeback. Brock cuts him off, knocks him in the ring. And I love what they did here where Brock was talking about the ring. He said, just take a count out. It's going to only get, take a count out. Cody gets back in the ring. Brock knocks him down, takes him out of the ring again. And they did a couple times where Brock said, yelled at him, this is going to get worse from here. And then Cody gets back in the ring. Brock gets pissed off, goes out the ring. F5's on the floor. Cody gets back in the ring. Brock gets pissed again. F5's through a table, and he gets back in the ring. And then Brock takes Cody outside. And Cody swings Brock into a, the ring post and hits him with the steel stairs, which there was no DQ, but you thought they were called DQ. However, Cody and Brock go back and forth. And next thing you know, Cody Cody goes back and forth, and he, Brock is wounded. And there's one thing about Brock Lesnar, and I'm going to talk about Brock here at Morris after this match going forward. Brock Lesnar is one of the best in-ring sellers in the last 25 years in the wrestling business. Brock Lesnar knows how to sell. Brock knows he sells like a monster should. He don't go down his feet. He he works. He works. Brock didn't take a really take about. He didn't take his first bump until he took a Cody cutter in the middle of the ring and he got a near count on that. Think about it, and the crowd popped. The crowd was on their feet chanting Cody, Cody, Cody. I mean that crowd was 100 for Cody on that comeback. And goes Brock hits the. They did the turnbuckle spot where he think from homage back to their backlash match. And Cody put a Kimura lock on Brock and Brock powered out of it. I thought that was a good spot. Um, Cody worked his ass off. And they did a Kimura spot with Brock and Cody where Brock cinched up and Cody got to the ropes. And um, Cody hit the crossroads three times in a row, pinned him one, two, three, and then pinned him one, two, three, got the one, two, three victory over. We got a clean victory. Yeah, Brock, he beat Brock at backlash, but it was like a roll-up finish. Beat Brock one, two, three. And after the match, Brock takes his gloves off, get in the middle of the ring, and he shakes Cody's hand. He raises Cody's hands. Raises Cody's hand, points to him, gives him dabs, and gives him a hug, and walks away. That right there did more for for Cody Rhodes than anything I've seen. And another thing also, Cody Rhodes, if you really look at him, Cody, um, it did more. This feud did more for Cody than you go back and look at WrestleMania 39. People were outraged that Cody. Didn't lose to fucking that Cody lost to Roman Reigns, and I told people three weeks ago I said Roman's gonna beat him for the world. Roman's gonna beat him. It's just it's too obvious. It's too soon. This happening. There's a thing called hard times. Dusty Rhodes, his Cody's father, made that promo. People don't realize this. Dusty Rhodes was the one thing that Dusty Rhodes, as a booker for Jim Crockett Promotions, the NWA in the late eight mid to late eighties, what he was good at was. He would get the money. He would build you up and start you from scratch. For example, Dusty booked himself against Ric Flair at Starcade, the second Starcade, 1984, the Million Dollar Challenge. Everybody knows that it was a million dollar match. Dusty and Flair put a million dollars up, I believe. Joe Frazier was a special guest referee. Everybody thought Dusty was going to win the world title that night, was going to beat Ric Flair for the NWA World Championship. Back in the 80s, that was the world title, by the way. And what happened? Uh, Dusty gets cut in the match and Joe Frazier uh, stops the match for excessive bleeding because Dusty couldn't see out of his eye. Dusty cut that promo about this ain't over, Ric Flair, I'm going to get my shot. They build up a whole year for this. 1985 rolls around. You get the four horsemen involved. Everything goes around. The gathering. Dusty pins Flair but with a controversial finish 
and does not win the world title. They go to the summer, the Great American Bash Tour. They find Dusty finally gets Flair in a cage, no inside or outside interference, and Dusty finally beats Ric Flair for the world title. But the buildup was special because it drew money and it was consistent and it made sense. The Road Warriors did the same thing. They they couldn't beat Tully and Arn. They couldn't beat Tully and Arn. And when they finally beat Tully and Arn for the World Tag Team titles, it made sense. Or the Midnight Express, whoever they beat, I, I apologize. Magnum TA was a prime example. If he if Magnum TA had not gotten hurt, we know what Magnum would have done. For wrestling fans out there, you know what I'm talking about. He had that seven-match series with Nikita Koloff. Nikita was up 3-1. Magnum came back and he lost the, the he lost the final match, but people love Magnum because of what he did, the grit, how getting back through it, hard times. A credible baby faces have to go through adversity. They have to go through something. Stone Cold Steve Austin had to go through Vince McMahon to get the World Wrestling Federation title. Hulk Hogan had to go through adversity as a world champion to get to where he needed to be. He, you know, when he lost the world title, the controversy finished to Andre the Giant. He had to go through another year. He had to go through Randy Savage. He had to go through these guys. That's how it is. And now the booking philosophy is a little different, but it was it was a similar mindset. I gotta go, you gotta go through this. Look what Roman Reigns went through. 2015 the match he had with Brock Lesnar, and look what he had to go through. Daniel Bryan, for God's sakes. I mean, that build-up for WrestleMania 30. Come on, man. There's things about it. Let's take a sip of my tea. And that's the way it is. Cody Rhodes is going to go to WrestleMania 40 to take on. We're going to talk about the winner of the main event here in the SummerSlam. But plain and simple... That is how you get a baby face over. Working with a monster heel. Now, who's Cody going to work with next? There's been rumors about Bray Wyatt. There's been rumors about this guy or that guy. But Cody Rhodes got more out of this. Him winning this match against Brock Lesnar. And like he said the next night on Raw, Cody Rhodes says, his mother told him, goes, Brock Lesnar acknowledged you. Plain and simple. And that's what it is. Great match on an A to um, an A to F level. It's definitely a thumbs up, but at A to F level, I'm going to give it a solid A because if the still step spot had not happened, it'd be an A+. It was a great match. Great match. Next match was a 25-man Slim Jim SummerSlam Battle Royal. And the participants in this were Apollo Crews, J.D. McDonald, Rick Rick Boogs, Otis, Ivar, Eric, Shinsuke Nakamura, Tommaso Ciampa, Cameron Grimes, Austin Theory, Santos Escobar, Giovanni Vincent, Louis Kaiser, Ridge Holland, Butch, Matt Riddle, Omos, The Miz, Grayson Waller, Waller, <clears throat> Karrion Cross, Chad Gable, Bronson Reed, AJ Styles, Sheamus, and L.A. Knight. Yeah! And by the way, when L.A. Knight came out to that ring, that pop was amazing. And this match got the purpose over. L.A. Knight won this match by eliminating Sheamus. I know there's been a lot of controversy about L.A. Knight, his age, how long can they push him. He's over right now. The guy's hot right now. He's red hot. L.A. Knight is believable. L.A. Knight is somebody you could put him in any era. The N.W.A. era is in the 80s. The W.W.F. golden era in the 80s. The 90s attitude era. The new generation era of the W.W.F. The late 90s WCW. ECW. The ruthless aggression era. L.A. Knight fits in an area, any era because one thing. He's believable. He looks great. And he can talk his ass off. And his work's solid. His work's really good. 
He doesn't do a whole lot. He doesn't have to do a whole lot. He, he What makes L.A. Knight so great is he can get on that microphone and he can get the people to believe in him and invest in him. I mean, look at him. Out of the top five shirts on WWE, uh, WWE's merchandise right now, L.A. Knight has three of them that are sold. He's got number one. Reigns has got number two. L.A. Knight has three and four. And I think, I think, um, who, I think, like, I can't know who's got number five, but I know L.A. Knight's got one, three, and four. And Reigns is second. He is a draw right now. And he's great. He's hot. And he's going to work a promo program with the Miz, it looks like, going forward. So I like it. On a, um, the Battle Royals are hard to judge because it's weird because, like, for example, Santos Escobar and Austin Theory were in this. You know, you think that match would be on shame, uh, would be on, um, they would have an own match, but it's, uh, on SummerSlam. But like for example, this had some guys and there's some guys. You had the Miz in there. You had Karrion Cross, Chad Gable, Bronson Reed, AJ Styles. You had Sheamus. They had a lot of good guys in there. But the main purpose was to get LA Knight over. If LA Knight had win this match, a 25 man Slim Jim battle roll, and guys like the Miz, AJ Styles, Sheamus, um, even Chad Gable, or guys, I mean, I'll take it back, Miz. AJ Styles, Sheamus, those guys are considered top guys. They've been around a lot. Wow. If LA Knight did not have those guys in this match and won this match, it wouldn't mean as much. It was a perfect situation, a perfect storm. So, LA Knight, haps to you. On a scale of a, I give it a thumbs up, and I will go plain and simple on an A to F level. I'm going to give this a solid... I'm going to give it an A because it got the point across. Battle Royals, like I said, Battle Royals are hard to judge. And the crowd was really into it. So the first three nights will let you know the crowd was really into it. And going back and watching Rhodes, Rhodes and Lesnar more, I was more into it watching it back on my television. And LA Knight, hearing that ovation on t- television is just as, as as you expected if you heard it live. It was amazing. So both matches did well on my TV going back and watching the second time. Shayna Baszler versus Ronda Rousey MMA rules match. The fourth match of the night. Okay. This match right here, and I love both girls. I'm a fan of both women. Ronda Rousey's good. Was Her run was incredible. We're going to talk about her in a little bit. And I've always been a fan of Shayna Baszler. And I think she's great. That being said, I know they did an MMA rules, and I know people were bitching about, well, the countdown, this and that. Well, they also mixed UFC in it. They mixed Pride rules. They mixed Elite FX. They mixed a bunch of different MMA rules into this. And live, the crowd was dead. A lot of people got up and took a piss. Going back and watching on TV, it was just as brutal. Actually, you, I actually appreciated it more watching it back on television because they were laying their shit in. I was so distracted by the crowd they're live that it, it, it just it was just whatever however that being said I did believe I did think in my mind that this this is not what you thought it was going to be and live I I frowned upon it because I knew that they I mean both girls laid their shit in I mean you look at Shannon Baszler's eye the next night they both girls laid their shit in they laid it in but at the same time it, it was just to the point I was like well yeah, but they could have done something different, I think. And also another thing, I also believe that <laughs> I thought lot, uh, watching it on television, I actually had more fun watching because I was able to say, oh, shit. Shayna got the win by technical decision. Ronda's leaving, obviously. And uh, I thought, <sighs> I hate to give it a thumbs down. But I'm not going to give it a thumbs down. I'm going to go in the middle because I actually got into it 
watching it on my television than I did live. That being said, on an A to F level, I'm going to give this a C minus, and I'm being generous. I think if I had not watched it back on my television, it probably would be an F. It probably would. But I enjoyed it more. I got more in I got more into it watching it. Uh watching it um on my television than I did live. So and I like the Shane I got put over. Now I'm gonna talk about Ronda Rousey a little bit because Ronda Lousy, all these fucking fans out here have been running their fucking mouth about her as I got a message from Warrior Crook. Glear. But But that being said, we're going to go back on my Facebook page. I saw this. And I'm going to pull this up for you. Mick Foley put put a, put an article out. And I definitely agree with everything he said. And this is the article on his Facebook page. You can say this. And here we go. In Praise of Ronda Rousey is the title of the, in the big caption book bold letters. That's what he said. It would be easy to dismiss Ronda Rousey's time in WWE as something of a disappointment. Maybe she never became as beloved as Becky Lynch, a precipitant, I can't say it, as Charlotte or Sasha, or had a great long-term story, story arc like the one Rhea Ripley is currently enjoying as part of the Judgment Day. I haven't always been watching the product eternally these past few years as I had the previous 40, but from what I did see, coupled with a, coupled with a pretty good gut feeling is that Ronda wasn't quite emotionally invested Mostly invested emotionally for a second WWE run as she was at first. I definitely agree with that. Motherhood has a way of defining priorities and roughly so, but I firmly believe that her first run was was not only incredibly impressive in the ring, but more consequential in introducing new eyeballs to the product and injecting a major dose of credibility in the general perspective of professional wrestling. No fucking shit. Absolutely, Mick. One hundred. I've been saying that shit from the get go. I was in the crowd for for San Jose. In the crowd, I was in the crowd, San Jose, for WrestleMania when my pal Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Why you got call him the Rock? Come on, I liked a little. I laughed at that. Introductive Ronda Rousey to a crowd of a to a thunderous ovation. She was quite simply the baddest woman on the planet. And while the back-to-back -back defeats she suffered in the UFC may have taken a little shine from her, Ronda was still in this incredible sparking, sparkling diamond in the rough when she made her WWE debut at the 2018 WrestleMania. That match where she teamed with Kurt Angle to take on the WWE's power couple of Triple H and Stephanie McMahon was my personal favorite match of 2018. It was one of my favorites too, Mick. It was a great match. That said, it was that's not to say it was the best match of 2018. Merely my favorite. Definitely agree with that. It was one of those matches I need every, every once in a while to remind me of why I fell in love with pro wrestling to begin with. I specifically remember watching the show with my friends and during the incredible moment where she had Triple H rocking and reeling and just yelled out, she's not phoning it in. She certainly wasn't. Ronda took pride in what she did. She worked diligently to become really good, really fast as she progressed and had a good to great matches with variety of opponents. She did. That Charlotte match at Survivor Series that year, the match with Sasha at the Royal Rumble. I mean, she had really good matches. She had some really good matches, guys. Without Ronda, it's highly... And this is the one I want people to set in stone with this. I want them to hear this real loud, what Mick says here. And if you don't like it, it's the fucking truth. Without Ronda Rousey, it's highly unlikely WWE would have featured a women's match as its main event at WrestleMania in 2019. I still believe the real marquee would have been Becky versus Ronda in a singles match. But nonetheless, let the record show that Ronda main event WrestleMania with just one year of professional wrestling experience. I would put Ronda's rapid progress up there with the... with with up, up there with the of uh, Steve Austin, Kurt Angle, The Rock as the fastest learning curves I personally see in our business. 
I agree with that. Being a student of the game and studying the product, studying the sport of wrestling for years, professional wrestling, I definitely agree with what Mick's saying. As a fan who loves this shit, I agree with Mick. But each of those Giants has a formal arrow in those quivers. As Ronda never quite got the grasp of the ability to cut a great promo, that I agree with, that really all was, that was missing. All that prevented Ronda from being considered all-time great. Steve Austin respected and admired working for eight years before he caught fire with Stone Cold, with the Stone Cold character, became one of the biggest drawing cards of all time. Dwayne Johnson went through some growing pains as Rocky Maivia before he switched the flipping hill turn that revealed one of the greatest entertainers in our business or any other. Kurt Angle, as amazing he was in the ring, became a beloved iconic character by utilizing in-state a comic timing that would be impossible to guess at it. If Ronda had the Achilles heels as heel as a performer, it was that of all her mistakes were made on the big stage, and that her wrestling character did not involve as quickly as her in ring skills did. I only met Ronda once during that first run with the company, but I remember watching her and marveling at how much fun she was having to watch the interact with WWE Pierce. That was a time during when Bo Dallas and Joe Henning, Kurt Hen- the son of Kurt Henning, Curtis Axel. We're teaming as the B team, and I specifically remember Ronda just light up the faces up and those around her with some type of little dance. Did she did a ringside when the B team music was played? I remember that team, and it, they actually I put they put the tag titles on them or did something. I can't remember. I remember thinking how uncomfortable she looked, how comfortable she looked, <clears throat> she looked, and sorry guys, I got I got lost. I was looking at my Garage Band. Back to the article. Um, how comfortable she looked and how she supported supported she was. And I specifically remember thinking if she could take a little bit of what I saw ringside and put that into her character, that could be one of the greatest performers in WWE history. I don't think most fans equate Ronda with humor and warmth, but those were the qualities I saw on display. Those are qualities that I really believe could have put in the world. For the time being, at least, I would have left to wonder what if. But while those two words, what if, may remind me of what Ronda Rousey could be, have become in WWE that doesn't lessen what she actually was. A great worker, a great worker with a love and respect for WWE that benefited everyone around her. Well said, Mick, and I agree. And if anybody disagree with me, you're wrong. You're flat out wrong on that. And I don't care. You can get an attitude about it. Anybody can get an attitude and want to debate me. I won't debate you on it. I am what what Mick Foley said as I've been saying for the last since 2018 about Ronda Rousey. Without her, Becky Lynch and Charlotte do not main event matches. Without her, the women's evolution pay-per-view does not happen. Without Ronda Rousey, just in general with her work in the UFC, it matters. She's in the, I mean, yeah, you know, she lost her last two fights against credible opponents, Holly Holmes and Amanda Nunes. Don't matter, man. Without Ronda Rousey, it doesn't break through. Women did not start main eventing UFC pay-per-views until it was Ronda Rousey. Bingo. And look at it. She was one of the top drawing. She's one of the top drawing cards all the time in UFC history. She is. If Ronda Rousey want to come back and have a fight, just say I want to come back and fight one more time. It will do a number. It, they put it in Vegas. It make a, It will be an all time attendance gate record, and it be a pay per view buy rate through the fucking roof. Ronda Rousey is that, and I will let you know, Ronda. I want to, and as a fan of her, I want to thank her for her time, and I hope she motherhood. I think motherhood did did tone her down a little bit. And I think she did a great job. I'm excited that uh, you know she she went out on her own terms. She had a great she had a, a match. She put somebody over she wanted to. She's done everything she did in this time frame. And in my opinion, Ronda Rousey is uh, going to be a Hall of Famer one day. I put her in immediately. I would in immediately. She did more in a short time. Think about this. She did more in the ring in a short time than most women did in, her, in 10, 15 years. Ago. But also they didn't get a chance. But Ronda was she. 
she was knocking doors down way before. Like, I think she means more to the wrestling business than the Bella Twins do. And that's my opinion on that. And I stand by that. It is what it is. I, I agree. So, Ronda Rousey, salute to you. And I really hope that Shayna Baszler gets to push a lifetime finally after this. The fifth match of the night was for the Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. Gunther versus Drew McIntyre. And this was... The crowd was still dead. Halfway through the match, the crowd started coming back. But they had a really good match and went back and watched it live. I was more into it live because when you're in a stadium, you really can't hear the chops. But you did hear those chops live on back on when you watched it on television. And it was impressive. Um... Good false finishes, good work, good stiff action. Gunther kicks McIntyre off the top rope. McIntyre falls down. Gunther hits a short arm lariat, which I fucking love, and a power bomb for the one, two, three. Gunther's going to break the honky tonk man's intercontinental record, and I think he's the right man for it. Drew McIntyre, um, I think Drew McIntyre desperately does, doesn't desperately need something, but he needs something. I think Drew McIntyre needs a fresh coat of paint, and what I mean by that is, I think Drew McIntyre needs some new music. I think Drew McIntyre needs to be a heel or a tweener, be more of a more badass than what he is because he is a badass dude. But he needs something. I think Drew needs to figure out anything. And, you know, they did a little post-match interview on WWE's YouTube channel where a lady tried to, uh, the interview tried to get a root for Drew and Drew just blew her off and kept walking. He was pissed off. He got beat. That being said, I think Drew is still going to, you know, you got to give Drew his, his props, man, because in 2020, Drew gave... His love, you know, in 2020, he had that run with the world title. And let's be honest, he didn't get the crowd reaction. I just felt bad for him. He didn't get what he wanted, but it was what it was. I mean, he had a run. He did a good job during that whole pandemic. That being said, let's talk about Gunther. Gunther, I think, is money. I think he is the next man in line to win a world championship and have a long run. Somebody, there's a crazy stat out like the 1,500 days or whatever he's been, he's been in the, like, been with WWE. Like almost 1,100, he's been a champion. He's only lost three times. He's only been pinned three times, beaten three times. He lost to, um, God dang it, the, the dude that just had the match with uh, Carmelo Hayes on NXT. Y'all know who he is. I fucking name escapes me. He lost to Braun Breaker, and he's lost to McIntyre Survivor Series. Outside, of, he's only been beat three times. So they've done a great job protecting Gunther. He's a hell of a worker, man. Damn. Um, I give this match a thumbs up, and I'm going to give it a solid B+. I feel like it could have been a little bit better. If they had, if they were more down the card and the crowd was into it, it would have meant more, I think. Or whatever. The sixth match of the night where the crowd really came back. Seth freaking Rollins versus Finn Balor for the World Heavyweight Championship. And I must admit, this match was really good. A lot of callbacks. Um, Seth did the whole, he wore his vest from the 2016th SummerSlam where we all know what happened where uh, Finn dislocated his shoulder in that match. That being said, this match was really good. I had a great time. Um, I had a really great time watching it. And I will also point out that that I really thought that um, the, the involvement the Judgment Day was perfect perfect in this. I thought the false finish was great. And the final false, the final finish where Finn gets the brief, stomped on his head with a breeze case, one, two, three. They're teasing the Judgment Day split. They're teasing, ba- they are teasing Damian Priest becoming a big baby, becoming a baby face. Because Damian is going to get that World Heavyweight title. I don't see Damian cashing in and not winning it. And um, there's Riff in the Judgment Day. And like Triple H said in the post, uh, the press conference, there's not a clear leader in this group. There's nobody that's really said there's a, a clear leader. Like when Edge was the leader of this group, he what he was in the group, he was the guy that was 
pulling the strings and making things where he was considered leader. We look at who's the leader. One say it could be Damian. One could say it's Priest. One could say it's Finn. Nobody says it's Dominic. But you think about who's really the leader of the Judgment Day. Nobody knows. And that's what's so great about it. That being said, thumbs up for this match. And I will say that I'm going to give it a solid A-. minus. I think there was a couple things I didn't like in it. But overall, I did enjoy the match. The finish, the fast, last five minutes of this match was awesome. Uh, another thing I also want to point out um, about Seth. I think Seth's done a great job as World Heavyweight Champion. I also think eventually Seth will drop that title. When he does, it will mean something. Finn is a great guy. But Finn's run is at the top as a World Champion is never going to happen. Unfortunately, he had his chance in 2016. And we all know what happened. That shoulder went. It sucks. The seventh match of the night, Bianca Belair versus Oscar and Charlotte Flair for the for the WWE Women's Championship in a triple threat. And this match was great. Had a good time. I uh, love the storytelling. It had that big match feel when the girls came out. Charlotte came out. She looked great. Oscar came out. She looked great. Bianca Belair came out. She looked great. All three girls, all three women busted their ass. I thought it was a great. It was a great time to watch. I also felt that we didn't get. Um, I wouldn't say we didn't get a. Um, we all felt like there was going to be an EO Sky was going to cash in with our Money in the Bank contract. We all thought that was going to happen. We thought, who's going to win? Was it going to be on Oscar? Was it going to be on Charlotte? Was it going to be on Bianca? And I always thought that you need, when you're doing a cash in as a heel, you got you want to cash in on a super over baby face, a, a vulnerable baby face. Bianca did the thing where she hurt her knee. Um, Charlotte put the uh, figure eight on Oscar. Bianca hit that, 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 that 450 splash off the top rope. Love the sequence where she had Bianca was caught in the figure eight. Oscar goes in and sprays a miss, goes in and thinks she's going to get an easy victory. Bianca cinches up on a small package, one, two, three, and wins the women's championship. It was a great finish. And it meant so there was a couple botches in the match. But I'm going to give this, and I'm going to include the, EO, then all of a sudden, EO Sky's music hits. She And it was so hilarious watching EO Sky run out of that tunnel. She ran out there with uh, Bailey. They're laying people out. EO Sky cashes in. Bianca's vulnerable. She hits the moonsault, gets a one, two, three, Bianca, and Bianca drops the title to Ego Sky. My opinion, if, if you clue those two matches together, they well, 20 minutes for both of them, 20 minutes combined, I would say I give it a thumbs up, and I would say this. In my opinion, I will gladly say there that that was an a, a solid A- minus for both things. Great crowd reaction. Everything was into it. Good ma- Good thing got you over. Now, where does Oscar and Charlotte go for? They're not going nowhere. But I will state this: Eel's going to get a nice little run with this, and eventually we're going to see the the riff and damage control start happening. I think. Now, finally, what everybody paid their money for, what everybody wanted to see: the main event, Tribal Combat for the Universal, the Undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso. This match went 36 minutes long. It basically was an hour long with the entrances combined in the post-match. The match was fucking, this match was fucking great. Um, I was into it. My, my kid was into it. Virgil and Price who went with me, they were into it. It was a great match. They told a great story. The entrances were awesome. And I also liked the whole thing with, you know... They, they both, I mean, and let's be honest, seventy. I think anybody would agree with me, 75 to 80% of this match, Roman got his ass kicked. Jey Uso kicked Roman Reigns' ass. Roman backed down. Roman Reigns, for the first time in his run as a world, this running, this legendary run that Roman's had, you go back and look at this. When, when Roman Reigns 
is getting when Jay Uso has him outside and Ro, he's kicking his ass and he gets that bamboo strap out that big thick ass strap he wears out. Roman is actually running away from Jay Uso. He's running away from him. Think about that. When have you ever seen Roman Reigns run away, run away from somebody? That's a little thing I liked about it. Um, the table spots were great in this. The Samoan drop from the, from over the apron was good. Um, the dives were good. The chair shots, the kendo sticks, everything. They, I mean, it was it was hardcore, but it was controlled hardcore. It didn't get out of control. It didn't get to where there was furniture here, furniture here. This, it was, it meant something. The, every spot meant something with this. Uh, Solo Sokoa got involved. We all knew it was coming on, coming to happen. Uh, Roman hit. And watching it back live, I actually like watching this back on my television and did live. You know, I was there. That being said, also back to it. Solo gets in the ring. They're going to do that famous. Samoan Spike spear spot. Roman comes off the ropes and he speared Solo and he knocked the shit out of Solo. I mean, you heard it. Um, Jay comes in gets and somehow they get back on the floor and you see a tease with Roman and Solo. Solo's about to snap. It looks like he's about to attack Roman. And I will say this out of all of Rikishi kids, so, Solo looks like a head shrinker. He actually embodies, like, he has that look. Like, he look, he works, like, watch Solo throw his punches. He throws his punches like his dad did. The, the kicks, he looks, he, I mean, he moves like his dad when he was a head shrinker. I mean, it's incredible. They do it. Roman gets speared through the barricade. Jay and Solo fight off. Solo gets knocked down. Jay Uso gets him in the ring. Jay Uso hits a super kick, hits a fucking splash, and the crowd probably go, he's going to win. All of a sudden, somebody pulls fucking Jay Uso out of the ring. The guy's got his camera back turned. Guy pulls a bandana, the hood down. It's Jimmy Uso. I, we were on the way to Detroit, me and, and Virgil and Parsa, and I said, Jimmy's going to cost him. It's going to happen. Jimmy super kicks him. He walks away. Roman gets up looking like, what the fuck? Roman spears him through a table because Roman didn't know what happened, and then he pins one, two, three. He pins Jay Uso in the ring. People were fucking mad. They were throwing shit. People were pissed. People were pissed off about that, and I thought it was great. Here's my thing. People online, I saw people say, this shit don't make no sense. This is bad booking. This is some Vince Russo shit. No. Let me break this down for you. Remember when they, the riff was going on with the bloodline, when Solo and Roman were going to challenge Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn for the Undisputed Tag Team, the Tag Team titles at Night of Champions. What did Jimmy Uso say in that promo? When it comes to Uso's I Am the Tribal Chief. How about the whole thing when Jay, when Jimmy got hurt, Jay was the one that became a main event, the right-hand man. They played that up. Even when they, when Jay spoke up about how you're out and I'm out too, who got hurt when they beat, when the Usos got won the Money in the Bank match, when they beat Solo and Roman, Jay was the one who pinned Roman. It wasn't Jimmy. The whole focus was not on the Usos, it was more on Jay. When the attack happened, Jimmy got laid out. Jimmy got laid out of the hospital. What did Jay do? Jay went to the hospital and came back and challenged Roman. And the whole focus was on. And Jimmy's thing is, what am I just spirit? What am I just like? What am I just not? I'm nobody to you now. I'm your brother. We've been a tag team since we got here. So that whole mindset of Jay, why would he not? Jimmy, Jimmy's pissed off. He's upset that he's being left out. And it's jealousy. It's perfect. The Usos have done. The Usos are one of the greatest tag teams in WWE history. They're one of the best tag teams in the last 10, 5 to 10 years. They've been fucking incredible. But after a while, what if they had that long tag team run, title run? They had you gotta do something. They can't go back chasing the titles. Because as soon as they get them and they, they lose them in three or four months, what was the fucking difference? Of you know what I mean? You got to do something. So what do the Usos do now? The Usos are going to be um, 
Now the Usos are going to be feuding against each other, and this extends that bloodline story more. Roman is not going to worry about it no more. Roman's about to go off for a little while. He's going away. And they're talking about Roman's not going to even deal with the bloodline anymore. Like, it's going to be something else. So, in all in all, I thought this match was an A. I thought it was a thumbs up. And I thought it was a good time and a great finish. And it makes more sense. Because, let's be honest, the money match at WrestleMania 40 is Cody Rhodes beating Roman Reigns for the, that, that world championship and ending the run. That's what it is. So, that being said, as I close the show with a quick rundown, Logan Paul Ricochet liked it liked it live, but saw the flaws when I watched it back on my TV. Cody Rose, Brock Lesnar, best match of the night. Loved it in both ways. LA Knight got the 25-man the Slim Jim Summer Battle Royal. Got the job done. Shannon Blazer, MMA Rules Ratch. If that match, Shannon Blazer and Ronda Rousey had been a submission match, or a different style match to the MMA rules, I think it would have been a lot better. But I, but watching back, I got I got more uh, watching it live. Gunther and Drew McIntyre, right guy won, good match. Seth Rollins and Finn Balor, last five minutes match was incredible, good spots. Bianca Belair and Oscar, it got in uh, Charlotte Flair with EO Scott Cashing, it got the job done, right decision. And Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, great booking and a great way to end the story and a continuation of the story in a different route, a spinoff if you would like that. So on a scale. So finally, on a on a uh, on a a way to close this out with a good uh, great. I think SummerSlam is an A show. I think it had good booking. I think it had a great feel for it. And Summer and Triple H, I would say it's their premium live events, their pay per views that WWE has had all year long. They've been really good. They've done a great job. The Royal Rumble was great. Uh, Elimination Chamber Montreal was awesome. Mania Night 1 and Night 2 delivered. Um, Backlash in Puerto Rico was awesome. Um, Night of Champions was good. Money in the Bank was good. And SummerSlam was really good. They have had a string of good pay-per-views going on. And it's just incredible. So, that being said as well, before I close the show, as I wrap up this review, I will have a big announcement coming up on on the Thursday edition of August 31st. The last week of August, I will have a huge announcement to announce. And I think you guys are going to get a kick out of this. So until then, enjoy this Friday episode. Hopefully this will be the last Friday episode for a while and I can get back on my schedule. That being said, guys, I don't bullshit. I just tell it like it is. Straight up, have a good one, y'all.